welcome to the Ask the Masters and our continuing deep dive series. Uh, today, I'm real excited. Uh, you know, we, Rick and I have been doing some of these in the past, uh, but, you know, there's a special project that actually just won a Pinnacle Award um, with Luxury Pools. And, uh, um, you know, I immediately got on the phone and called up Ben Lassiter and said, hey, Ben, you know, I would love to, I'd love to, you know, feature this on the deep dive. Uh, and then Ben started to go into the story about it. And it's like, oh man, it's such an intriguing and such an interesting project. Um, and uh, even before we get into that, um, let's go over uh, just some of the ground rules. Um, uh, down at the bottom of your screen, you'll see you have a chat and a Q and A. Um, I will be monitoring all of those. I'll be muted out most of the time. Uh, but please feel free to use both the Q&A and the chat, um, uh, and, and we encourage interaction. Um, you know, we, we will cut these uh, and, and edit them down so that we can re release them on YouTube. Um, but one of the benefits of being here live is that not only are you the first to be able to see it, um, but we would love to get your interactions. And so I will watch the Q&A and chat real closely and really monitor that and, and either interrupt Ben um, if the, the question is real pertinent to what we're talking about um, or save it to uh, for a, a different moment. Uh, but before we get going, I just wanted to share a story. Um, uh, this happened to me yesterday. So we are doing a project for a client and not a very complex project, actually a really quite a simple project but it, it's a big stretch for the client. And I knew that it was, uh, it, it was pushing the edge of their budget, uh, but they have a couple of kids. And, and so they were real, they're real excited, uh, but they've been real nervous. They've interviewed a number of pool builders. Um, and we just actually started excavating the pool yesterday and the client came out and she actually, she just, she, she said, thank you. She had, you know, donuts for everybody. And she actually started crying. And, uh, and, and she got a little bit embarrassed uh, and she said, I'm just so excited and, and so relieved to finally be doing this. Uh, and it, it made me think, you know, there's sometimes in our careers that we, we, we just have those special moments with clients uh, or with particular projects. And I gotta tell you, this project is very simple that we're doing, um, no, nothing very difficult about it but it will leave a lasting impression. Uh, and, and I, I just, I have always felt like what we do is, is amazing. Um, you know, no, no disrespect to, you know, roofers or anything, but, you know, for those of us who own homes, the last thing you really want to do is go spend 10 or $20,000 on a new roof. Uh, it, it's just not exciting yet. What we get to do is we get to provide fun. Uh, and so I just wanted to, kind of give everybody that reminder that, that this is what we get to do. We get to build joy for clients. We get to build family memories. And, and I'd like to segue that this project uh, for Ben, um, this was really uh, one of those kind of special projects that will be, that, that'll kind of live on in history. And so I'm real excited for everybody to learn more about it. So welcome Ben and uh, go ahead and take it away. Thank you, Dave. Um, sorry, I'm gonna try to get my screen loaded up here. Will y'all confirm whenever it comes up? 
Yeah. All right. Thanks. Thanks again, Dave. Uh, thanks everybody for joining us today. Um, like Dave said, this is a uh, this is a really unique project. Uh, fantastic team. Um, uh, a team that that has worked together on several projects. Um, many of them, which have probably you've probably seen on covers of magazines and other awards. Um, but something special with this one beyond just the finishes, um, the story behind the project and how it came to be was, was really neat. And, um, I'm going to take y'all through kind of the, the evolution of all the teammates, um, the team members, uh, and then we'll start touching base on the project, uh, and how the project came uh, through construction and to where it is now. Um, the teammates, uh, the team members, they, they primarily um, John Luce is who I deal with. John Luce Builder. He's a custom home builder. He's been working in Austin for over 40 years. Um, he's done commercial, residential, multifamily, all types of work. But in the last 20 years, he's focused on high-end residential, primarily spec homes. Uh, the other team major player in this was was Dick Clark and his architectural firm. Um, Dick Clark passed away uh, during the, the conception of this project. Um, and then his firm carried on the construction documents and, and, and helped with the team throughout the duration of the project. And then there's a third member who is uh, Tom Kite, a professional golfer, who is part of the the, the finance team behind this and kind of allows us to, to make some of the decisions that normally people uh, would shelf due to financial reasons. You know, Tom has the money um, and he says, look, if this, if this is a financial decision, I don't want it to be. And he lets us do some stuff that is pretty creative without having to worry about, you know, the, the, the financing of the project. So those are the, Oh, and then us, Design Ecology. So <laughs> forgot about that. Um, uh, we are a landscape architecture firm that uh, specializes in high-end uh, master planning uh, centered around aquatics, swimming pools, fountains, uh, anything to do with water and the landscape. We're a design-build firm uh, based primarily in Austin. We do some work outside of Austin, but most of our work, and especially our construction work, is done here in town. So those are the, three, the, the major players, the four players in the project. Um, going way back into the 90s, um, Tom Kite and John Luce met probably on the golf course. Um, and they formed a partnership and started building uh, spec homes, spec condominiums, uh, commercial buildings. They, they had all types of projects that they worked on together. And Tom was the financier John was the builder. And that evolved through the 90s, um, all different types of construction. And like I said earlier, about 20 years ago, they started getting into the high-end residential. Um, sold several projects and then had a project come along with Dick Clark, who's the architect. And they, the three of them knew that instantly they had a great thing going. Um, so instead of just jumping to another architect and another project, they, they, they snowballed. They had a, you know, a second, a third, a fourth project. Eventually, John Luce 
built his own home adjacent to one of the specs. Um, and that's, that's the point where we became um, involved with the, with the team. So I think that was 2014 or 15. Uh, we began work on John's personal home and a spec house next door. Then subsequently another house that was called Bud's Place and um, a house we just finished. And then also the Encore, which we just finished. And um, a little bit about John and Dick as Dick Clark, as their relationship evolved, they became really, really close friends. And the, the real estate in Austin is there's not anymore. I mean, it's, 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 it's all urban and there's cliffs and there's, there's just not a lot of real estate close to town with views. So finding an optimal lot to build on was a, was a tough, I mean, it wasn't like you could just open up the MLS and go, I want to live there. I mean, you had to have some creativity and you had to be able to have this imagination on, on what you could do with the space that you were provided because the spaces are so few and far between when it comes on the lot, you, you can't go sit out on the patio of a house that's for sale and go, Oh, this is going to be my view. I mean, you really have to think beyond that because a lot of these houses are getting raised and whole new structures are going up. So you got to get creative. So that's one thing John and, and Dick would do is they would, they just go get and drive around neighborhoods and be like, I wonder if we cut these trees down, like, are we going to have a view or, you know, what happens if, if we built this two stories, can we, you know, like they were always coming up with different ways to, to make more of the properties that they were finding. And um, they, you know, they had a, a, a lot of opportunities. Um, excuse me, <clears throat> I want to take a drink of water real quick. Uh, a lot of opportunities with lots that, that came available that had, uh, you know, building restrictions or height restrictions and Dick was always uh, always creative enough to come up with some type of, of building envelope that they could squeeze a house into a really, really confined space or a really limited lot. And he was, he was just a master at what he did. Uh, Encore, um, the house that this project is about, really wasn't even in the docket. It wasn't, they weren't thinking about building another spec. Um, there was nothing on the, you know, on the schedule coming up and Dick had started to get sick. Uh, he had, he had leukemia and one day John just said, Hey Dick, let's, uh, let's go look at this house that just popped up on the MLS. And they went through it and John was, John said, I, I, there's nothing here. There's nothing on this lot. There's nothing we can do with this place. And Dick walked through the house and said, yeah, there is. He said, absolutely there is. And he went out to the front porch and he started sketching and he told John, he said, let's do it. Let's build another one. Uh, and so John was, you know, lit up and said, yeah, let's do it. Um, as Dick's sketches progressed, his, his cancer also progressed. And it, it was, it was a, it was a team coming to Dick, you know, at, at his house and, helping take those sketches into CAD drawings and get the permitting going. And eventually uh, Dick's come to his, his cancer, he had leukemia. And, um, but the house at that point was all, was all drawn in construction documents. 
Uh, and at that point, it didn't have a name. It didn't have the Encore name attached to it. It just had its address, the 895 Live Oak. And John was, uh, he told me the story where him and Dick were driving around one day and they were just talking about old Austin and what they grew up with when they were in college and in the 70s. And they talked about this Jethro Toll concert in San Antonio that they had gone to. And they both came to the consensus that it's like, why even go to the concert? Just show up two hours late for the encore. And, you know, in Dick's passing, John had remembered that conversation with Dick and how, you know, you just have to be there at the very end. And that's when the whole thing just makes sense. So John had, had called up to Dick's office at that point and said, hey, let's just change the title of this to, to the encore. So that's how the encore project got its name. It was really just a, a 20 years worth of friendship, um, all kind of coming together at the end. And um, of course, Dick's remembered for many, many, many more homes and buildings than just this one, but it, it was his last bit, you know, it was his last hurrah. Um, of course, he couldn't have done it without the rest of his associates and John and Tom and everybody on the project. But, um, but that's how the Encore came to have its name. Um, did he ever get to see it built? He did not. It was still in permitting and construction document phase whenever he passed. Um, so he did not get to see it, it built out. Um, you know, to take it a little, you know, a little bit deeper into that, part of that team that, that and that formula that they've always used is not a typical formula. It's not a, um, here's how we're going to do every single house and it's going to sell and we're going to make this much money. They, they literally, they ask everybody's opinion along the way. I mean, sometimes the, the cabinet guy has just as much input on the color of the kitchen as, as the architect or as the interior designer, um, because they, they respect how, how broad of appeal that different people can have and different points of view have. And, and the people working on the house may have just as good of suggestions here and there, maybe not in the ultimate final decision on what goes where or what color looks best, but they are such an all-inclusive team that um, sometimes we joke that it's, it's becomes a full-scale mock-up um, because we, we bring everybody in and, you know, if we're putting a, a glass front cabinet next to a tile and that tile is going to run out to the pool, well, we've got to have the cabinet guy there. We've got to have the floor guy there and we've got to have the pool guy there. Everybody really needs to have some type of input and, if it's a color decision or if it's a buildability, you know, decision, everybody gets to have their little bit of input. And ultimately, it, you know, between the the finance team on this one and and the build team on this one and the the architect on this one, uh, it, it just turned out to be a fantastic three-year-long project. <laughs> All right, so um, I'll get in a little bit into some of the, the photo heavy stuff, but I still try to talk and make really good sense of the, um, what the pictures are in case those are just, those of y'all are just listening and don't get to see the pictures. But um, the, as, like I said, the project name is Encore. 
Um, one of the other projects that was just finished is, uh, is called Bud's Place. Um, this was a pool that gained a lot of notoriety. It was a Pinnacle Award winner. It was also on the cover of Luxury Pools. And it was the, the same team, the same architect, same financier, same pool builder, landscaper, the same team, you know, finished this pool about three years ago. <clears throat> These were some of the original, uh, original drawings and models that they, the firm had put out at, um, as Dick was, you know, sketching up the house and coming up with the floor plan and layout. Um, John insisted on having the pool up, up, up at the house level. He thought that that's, that was his formula, the home builder, John Luce. His formula was like he wanted the owner to be able to walk out their back door and have a pool up on that level. It just made sense. Um, and in the past, that's the way we had done all of their pools. You know, you, very easy to access, very close to the barbecue pit, close to everything. And then on this site, they couldn't make it work. And uh, I think John told me he said they were looking at a picture of a house from a maybe a travel magazine or something. And the, the pool, the house hung over the pool. And, and John had said, why can't we do this? And Dick said, I've been trying to get you to do that for years. <laughs> and so this pool ended up uh, on the lower level, which is is not traditional what they'd done in the past. And then they, they had a really cool cantilevered effect hanging over the edge of the pool. And, um, you know, in, the, in this drawing, this is this is what ended up getting built, more or less. And we'll we'll get through that here in a second. There's a couple other uh, views of the house and model renderings that, that were produced. Um, the footprint you can see where the pool down at the bottom right, and it it turns and goes underneath the footprint of the building. Um, save the save the NEC codes for me. That's a later discussion. We'll talk about that. <laughs> Um, you can see in this photo, the, this is a drone shot we took after the house slab was built. Um, the pool is sitting about 10 feet out of ground on a, on a slab that was monolithic with the house. And that, I mean, it's, it, you know, you, you see the photos and it looks like the pool is at grade, but in reality, the site was so complicated. We still had to bring that foundation up quite a bit to get it to that lower level of the house. Now over on the right side, you know, the slope came up and that was that was a lot more friendly to be building over there, but that's just not how this one ended up. Um, some more of the bagging forming. This was during the steel process, um, shortly before we uh, did our final bit of plumbing and, uh, and shotcrete. Oh, just um, uh, back up to that last photo real quick. Um, so this, as I started down the journey of starting to build pools similar to this, these kind of photos always freaked me out um, because there's so much going on right there and, and there's so much to know. Um, but explain to me a little bit how much of this you're involved in. Because I know on, on many of the jobs that we're on, most of this work is done by the, the structural concrete contractor that's doing the house. And um, yes, it's difficult and there's lots of things that, that have to be adhered to, but you're not, at least our firm, um, we're not doing big giant shoring and, and all of that. So what, what was your involvement in this portion of the construction? So thankfully the, 
the home structural engineer and the pool structural engineer were the same guy, um, which allowed us to plan the house foundation to hold the pool foundation and then work together. Um, I don't, I'm sure people have been in a situation where they're working with two different engineers on a project. It can be a nightmare because one doesn't want his stuff to interact with the other one. And but thankfully we had a, a uh, Steinman, Steinman Lovano out of Austin was the engineering firm on this one. And they they worked with both of our teams so that we knew that the pool would interact well with the house and there would be no real, the drawings were continuous. Um, now the house, the home builder, John, his, his foundation crew built the structure that is underneath what you're seeing in this photo. Um, this, what you're seeing, all the bag material, the floor material, the, uh, the plumbing, the rebar, all of this is sitting on a finished slab that was provided, uh, you know, specified by the engineer and built by the house contractor or the house uh, concrete contractor. We then came and you can actually see the long, uh, can you see my mouse on the screen? Is it visible? Sorry, yes, I have myself muted. Yeah, we can see the mouse. So each of these lines that, that transects the pool is actually sitting on a grade beam that was provided by that, the engineer. So it's not like these are just randomly placed. We're actually opening up the pool bagging so that we can sit on a structural beam down below. And that way we can transfer a load from the pool down to the house foundation directly right where they're engineered to be. Um, and then you can't see because it's really obscured by the forms, the, the forms down here, but there's, there is a concrete wall that, or it's a turndown beam in the foundation. It's similar to this part of the foundation right here that we're formed above. And then there's, a, there's another beam over here that we poured uh, or shot with the pool. Um, so this all, all the structure was, designed and built by two, were designed by one firm and built by two different firms, but it was it was designed to be one structure. And for those, I mean, I'm, I'm curious about this because I don't, we don't see bag forming here. Are those just gravel bags uh, stacked up? Um, or, uh, what is that construction? Readily available materials here is crushed limestone because of the limestone quarries we have. Um, it's about the cheapest and it's definitely the easiest to move. Um, it's pretty lightweight. Uh, it's compactable. So we use bags, we bag them up. Um, and then of course we put tire steel and we can, we can trench through it, put our plumbing, bury our plumbing in the gravel. Um, it also has, you know, it's gravel, so it'll drain. So if you ever do end up with a, a groundwater scenario, which was extremely unlikely in this pool, just cause it's all out of ground. Um, but, you know, in normal construction, it does provide a drainage layer underneath the pool, so you, it does help prevent any uh, scenario where you might have a, a pool pop out of the ground uh, due to high groundwater. But yeah, it's just uh, construction. They're, they're poly bags filled with uh, road base, and then we, we bag them up, compact them, backfill with gravel, and, and raise that up and kind of build our, our, our beams out of that. Cool. Uh, a little bit closer look, you can see some of the bags we use um, in this photo. Um, this was uh, one of the walls built by the, the home contractor and it acted as a retaining wall for the soil behind it. Um, 
it also acts as our, our perimeter barrier. So it, it becomes our, our fence from the front yard. Uh, these two pictures were taken from the exact same spot. I was looking towards the, the street in one, now I'm looking towards the view in the other. You can see our forms of rebar, um, some of our light conduit that was laid across the floor of the pool. Uh, and this was about halfway through steel because we had another mat of steel go in over the top of this. Um, and you can see the, the long grade beam across here and then where they dissect the pool over here and here. There, when working with this engineer, we normally get those about every 10 feet, 10 to 12 feet. Um, sometimes we can talk them into a little bit longer. Sometimes he insists on a little bit shorter. So but that, that's a typical grade beam we would see here in Austin. Uh, Shot Creek Day, um, you can see uh, the, the vanishing edge over here. Th these are plywood forms. Uh, we don't use any pegboard, especially on these big, long, super straight walls. Um, you know, we, we build these forms on site. Uh, we usually, we build them out, we'll box out four by eight plywood. So it just, it's ready to tilt up like a, almost like tilt wall construction. Um, on this one, we shot the basin first, very first thing in the morning. As soon as it was, it was set up enough to walk on, we tilted up these forms and we're able to shoot the wall from the inside of the pool while we had fresh concrete down the basin curing. Little drone shot of that. And you can see down here what I'm talking about. He's standing on the, the beam of the catch basin. Um, I hope nobody from OSHA's in here, but that is a good 12 to 14 foot fall from here down to behind where he, you know, where he would land potentially. I'm sure he's tied off. Um, you can also see a little bit of the, the, the structural members of the house here. This is this became uh, the master closet, the master bathroom, and the master bedroom uh, of the house you know, as, as construction progressed. And there's a really cool window over here uh, between these two beams. There's a window now that looks out down that you can see down the pool and you can see downtown Austin. It was a really neat, a really neat detail. Uh, this was once we were shot. Um, at this point, we had one plan for the, the coping material and the deck that changed three or four times before we actually selected a material. Um, but this was probably one or two days post concrete. Um, I think we had just applied a, a colloidal silicate at this point, and we're probably about to flood it, uh, flood cure this one. This could have been after we drained it from the flood cure, but seeing how clean it is, I'm guessing we were just about to, to fill it up. Yeah, there it is. We, um, we, with the engineer's supervision, of course we have a vanishing edge and a freestanding wall. We do like to do a flood cure on these. Uh, it, it allows the um, concrete to stay nice and cool, uh, hydrate properly. We don't do it for very long. Um, there's no real need to keep it all 21 or, 20, or 28 days. Um, but we do get the, that first seven to 14 days, we get them, you know, completely flooded. And the, the second half of that curing period, we're, we're usually putting drip hoses or oscillating sprinklers on it. But we do like to have that underwater, um, or as much water available for the curing process as possible uh, during that first two weeks. 
Uh, just a view from inside what the current owners are using as the gym uh, out across the pool. And uh, as these tree limbs were, were trimmed up, a view of downtown Austin opens up right here. And it's, it's, it's one of those I was talking about earlier. You just, you gotta have a good, a talented eye and know where a property, you know, know what a property can reveal. And that there is a, a gorgeous downtown view on this, this pool or this house. You see what I'm talking about here. This is um, this is downtown. Of course, I'm I'm not focused on it, so you really don't see much of downtown. You see our our plaster process going on. Um, not to jump too far ahead to plaster, but this was the material discussion I was talking about. Um, we have two materials on the deck that that interacted, and it it was a lot of discussion getting to this point. Um, we didn't want to have too many materials. That's one of the things, one of the, the principles and one of the, 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 the guidelines that John and, and Dick and Tom all really stick to is you don't need a whole bunch of materials to make a project neat or cool, like minimize it. You know, it's a, it's a minimalist house. Let's minimize the number of materials. So we had gone through rounds and rounds and rounds of different tiles and different copings and pool tiles and pool plasters and Eventually, what we ended up doing was taking the stone that we used for the or the builder used for the house, as you can see on on this column right over here, or this pedestal that actually holds up the cantilever of the house. We took that stone, which is a, um, a really dense limestone from Texas called Looters Limestone. This particular vein was cut through a very dense uh, fossil remnant. So all of this static noise that you see that just looks like dirty coping is actually shells. It's uh, cross sections of, of, of shell fossils. It's a really cool texture, really cool detail. And it's found all throughout the house on this same stone. Um, the patio material is a, an Italian porcelain that is run through a, a heavy brush wheel to give it some texture we had used this exact same tile on a previous job and it was really, really slick. Um, I, I was against using this material until they found this textured version of it, which, uh, you know, just due to being around the pool, um, I was being overly cautious about the, the, you know, the amount of slip we would have. And this ended up working out great. And we did a couple of samples of different pigments in the, the uh, interior finish, but we really wanted the end product of the finish to be really close to this, uh, this uh, porcelain tile on the deck. And we, and we definitely achieved it. And of course, different lights produce different colors out of the pool plaster, but for the most part, we, we got a pretty close match. Um, the tile in the pools, uh, in the picture, of course, it looks a lot darker than what it is relative to the plaster. Um, but that was one of the goals too, is to kind of keep the, the tile and the pool really close to the same colors that are used in the house that you find on this sheet metal facade and um, some of the other details found around the house. Um, so really that, um, you know, that kind of touches on a, on a lot of the points of the pool um, the mechanicals on this pool, we have, uh, we have four pumps, uh, 
we use a we use a shared filter pump for the pool and spa. We have a vanishing edge pump. We have a spa jet pump, and then we have an in-floor cleaner pump that operates a Paramount in-floor cleaning system. Um, the the tile is a glass tile. It's not quite black. It's a it's I forget the exact color that they call it, but it's a one by one glass that is just a shade lighter than black, which is very similar, like I said, to the house. Um, try to find a picture of it here. Oh yeah, the this the same facade they used in the house. We actually clad the exterior of the pool on, and it's all bonded. Um, it's all you know. You can. It's all within five feet of the perimeter of the pool, and so we actually had to to bond all of this the steel, which wasn't really that hard because it's interlocking and it touches each other. So bonding wasn't really that difficult. But that was one of the um, one of the challenges on this pool is to get it bonded, get it inspected, and then cover it up so that it wasn't visible. So, you, know, you couldn't see a bond wire just you know attached right there to the to the face of a pool. back up here. So these two pictures were shot from the same location. This was the, the one we were just plastering. And then this, this you can kind of get a good hint of, of downtown Austin. Of course, it's, it's underwhelming in this photo. But to stand here and be standing over this pool, have a beautiful view of the house, have a beautiful view of downtown, it's, it's a really spectacular moment when you're, when you're standing there. Um, Talk a little bit about in-floor cleaning and that. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm just asking questions because I'm curious. We don't do that too much here in Southern California. Um, you know, but I can see I can see some of the heads, but they really seem pretty understated. Uh, do you guys work real hard on those? Because I know they can be kind of difficult in order to get them to work properly and then look nice as well. Right. So we we use Paramount. Um, I know there's a bunch of different systems out there, all quality systems. Um, we just, you know, we have a good thing with Paramount. We stick with them. Um, in fact, this pool is going to be on the cover of their 2021 catalog. So when it comes out, you'll you'll have a familiar face there. Um, but we use Paramount um, and we use their their PCC 2000 system, which is a series of of larger heads. Um, aesthetically, I'm not thrilled with them just because you do have a, a head in the middle of your floor but what they make up for or what they lack in aesthetic quality on a pool like this they make up for in their cleaning capability um, we have a lot of oak trees that are semi-deciduous twice a year we get a massive amount of oak leaves and pollen from pecan trees from cedar elms we just get a massive amount of leaf litter in the pools and the Paramount system, uh, it, it's a series of heads, which you can see them down here. And I'll, I'll get over to this other picture. You can see the entire system from this picture. It's a series of heads that we try to match as closely to the plaster as possible, but we don't always, you know, we don't, there's some limitations with the plastics colors, but each of these rotates. And as they rotate, they, they brush and sweep material down to this drain, which is also manufactured by Paramount. Um, it's manufactured, it's VGBA compliant. Uh, here's its secondary suction, it's on an alternate plane. So, uh, you know, this is a, 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 a anti-entrapment lid 
but we also have a secondary on the wall. So it, it, it meets all the, the standards that we need to meet for BGBA. But the, uh, the system sweeps debris and it all ends up in this drain uh, where it can be easily removed out at the pool equipment. Um, depending on the time of the year, uh, during the summers, we really, they're, they're almost not in use because we don't have a lot of leaf litter. But starting about now, whenever we get our colder months, uh, it's there. I wouldn't want to pool without one. Uh, it's, we have people who, have, who don't have in-floor systems who literally will be cleaning their skimmers out four, five, six times a day. Uh, it's just so much leaf litter that it's just, it's, these things just make it manageable. Um, they're, they are controlled by a, um, a, a hydraulic driven valve. So this system had 12 zones on it. Um, and in order to do 12 zones, you have to have three different valves, um, two six zone valves, and then a, one valve that alternates between the two six, the two heads. So they're timed, the valves are timed so that each of these zones runs about the same amount of time. Um, we draw water from the catch basin, pump it through that valve, and then these head spin. And we do that at night. Um, that way you don't see it all working during the day. And then hopefully you wake up in the morning to a nice clean pool. Uh, anything else you want to talk about on the, the, the in-floor cleaning systems? No, uh, I like this photo um, uh, because uh, I noticed the spa bench there. Um, I can't tell if you've got a deep well there, but um, I noticed that you pulled the, the spa benches back. It's one thing that I see um, a lot of builders um, making the mistake of running the benches all the way out to a very big vanishing edge drop. Uh, and that creates, you know, the, that creates some real safety concerns. Uh, so, uh, you know, I noticed that you guys pulled that back. Is it a deep well there? Um, with the, the, it is a deep the well. Um, the way we built this one, we have 18 inches of water on these two sides here. We have 21 inches of water down this side. Uh, and then we have, a, I believe it's 21 inch foot well. So we'd have 42 inches of water here. And then we drop down another foot and have uh, have a deep well where you're you can stand up and still be chest deep or a little deeper in the deep well. Um, I experimented with this on my mom's pool when I built it for her about three years ago, and loved it. I mean, of course, I'm not very tall, so it it's almost like being able to swim in a hot tub for me. Hmm. Um, but it was just a detail that we really, really liked. Um, we had drawn it a few times. And I, I believe we never really actually built one until my mom's pool. Um, and then right after we finished my mom's pool, I told John, I was like, this is a detail we have to incorporate because he wanted, he wanted this line visually to carry all the way out. He didn't want the spot in here and have this narrow swim lane. He wanted this to be real linear, real subtle, and not add more geometry to the pool. So this line ended up carrying all the way out, which means for safety reasons, we couldn't carry those benches all the way out. And this was a perfect opportunity to do the deep well. And it is okay. awesome. It, it does add some volume and adds a little bit of time uh, just because you have more water to heat. So it does take it a little bit longer to heat than a, 
this spa, it would have been a, you know, a, a six by six or seven by seven. It takes a little bit longer because it is a lot of volume, but it worth it. Totally worth it. Sure. Now we've done this detail as well, where you've got uh, the, the spillover spa that's going down into the pool and into the infinity basin. Uh, sometimes you just can't get away from that. It's not necessarily the, the most ideal. You really have to make sure that you set up your system properly um, because uh, if it's not set up properly, you can actually pull the water from the pool itself uh, and and spill over into the spa. Some will, <coughs> excuse me, some will go down into the basin, some will go back into the pool uh, and you'll end up um, overflowing the basin uh, if you haven't if you haven't thought that through and thought that detail through. So I see this detail done. Um, I see it drawn a lot and uh, just for everybody that's on here, you just have to pay attention to this and you have to know, you have to set it up properly. Uh, and, and it's something that's doable, but it does take some programming um, and, and just a little bit of forethought to make sure that you don't end up with a problem. Right, and, and that's kind of one of our rules of thumb when designing systems. Hydraulically, we want to pull from the lowest point. Um, no, that's not always the case, but in scenarios where we know we're going to have water overflowing to a you know a basin we don't want to be drawing water from anywhere higher than the basin so if we're returning it to the spa and it's going to be able to overflow the basin we need to be picking up water from the lowest point which would be the basin and i've made that mistake before um, <laughs> and you know some a breaker throws or a gfi trips and the vanishing edge pump doesn't come on and you've got pool water overflowing the spa well when that portion of that water goes over the edge, you're draining the pool. And I have had that call on a Saturday or Sunday. Why is my pool empty? Or why is my pool half empty? Hopefully you're saying, why is my pool three inches low before you catch it? But it's, you know, I have been bit by that in, um, in the past. So now, you know, we have, we, we take very good care in our plumbing and make sure that that we plumb that so that the overflow really doesn't have a chance to do that even no matter what the owner does unless they come down to the pool equipment and lock out a valve or do something that's completely out of the ordinary they can't do anything with the automation on this pool that would cause it to to be in a, a failure scenario sure yep and and if you have them uh if you have situations like that um uh, it's one of the reasons why I really uh, enjoy the Pentair systems. You can actually write macros and you can turn things on and off. And so uh, when we have had situations like that, um, we go in and just write a macro and we, we never allow the infinity pump and the circulation pump to run separate from each other. And we get pushback from clients because they're like, hey, we, we, you know, we, we don't want to run the infinity so much. And it's, it, you, you can lock it together and you can hide all of those menus. So yes, if the client does go in there, they can, you know, they could figure it out, but uh, generally you can, you can hide it and, and, and work it through on the programming side of things too. Along the same line on that one, what we did for this, this is a, a, a Jandy system. Jandy actually makes a, a circuit board that's an mm -hmm. add-on to their system. And that circuit board will turn an actuator anytime it goes into spa mode. Mm. So you just, you plug the, the circuit board into the extra auxiliary on the board. Anytime it goes into spa mode, it's gonna turn an actuator. So we just put 
a two-way valve on the overflow that, you know, the, the, the two-inch pipe that goes to overflow the spa, we just put a two, an actuator on it. So when you go into spa mode, it, it allows the vanishing edge to still overflow the pool, cuts off the water to the spa, and allows the spa to heat independently without commingling the water. So, and it's a hundred dollar circuit board. That's a pretty easy, I think I've got the part number memorized by now, but we put it on almost every system that overflows spa water into the vanishing edge. Um, we do it on a lot of our Lautner pools where you can't avoid having that, that commingling. Yep, yeah, exactly. This is looking down, you can, you can see the valley, the view in the back. Um, This is where I wanted to get into some of that, uh, that NEC stuff I mentioned briefly earlier. Um, we, when, we when this pool was designed and we started building it, this soffit was not supposed to be, um, to be a ferrous material. It was not supposed to be a conductive material. Um, we had to bond it. So there's actually bond wires that run through here uh, through the steel structural members of this, the framing of the house that are tagged along to this, it's because it does, it does fall within the five foot uh, uh, horizontal, 12 foot vertical envelope of the pool. So we do have, uh, we do have this fascia up here bonded as well. And of course, this is, this is all attached to the vertical fascia of the house. So all of our steel, um, everything you can see is, is bonded per the NEC code. Yeah, we've 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 been bit on some of those before. Uh, a design change or something. And uh, matter of fact, I just sent forty six bonding lugs uh, to a job yesterday uh, because we were out there uh, just doing some other things. We haven't been on it for a while, and and they've got all metal stands for their uh, their floating deck system out there. And it's like, oh hey, each one of these, you know, and. And the GC is like, okay. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's stuff to pay attention to. And it's, it's always a good reminder, um, you know, that even though uh, on these big jobs, you know, we will be off of them for months and months at a time. Uh, but it's always, it's always good to just pop in kind of on a regular basis because, you know, had we waited two or three more weeks, uh, we're not scheduled to be back out there. Uh, they could have had this all covered up and we would have never known. So, That's beautiful down at the pool deck. Uh, you can see in this picture some of the coping and the, the character in that shell stone. Um, you know, it's it's just a really, really interesting rock. I mean, you just, you don't see it everywhere. It's, in fact, you. I've seen shells in rocks, but this rock is all shell. Um, and it's smooth to the touch. It's, uh, it's it does have a slight, um, I call it leather texture to it. So there is a little bit of relief on the surface, but it's just a really cool rock. And, and next to this textured porcelain, it's it, it just turned out really, really well. You can see more of it there. And I love that shot. Yeah, very top center, you can see downtown. And like I said, we're, we're focusing on the pool really, but man, that, sitting up on that patio and you can see the window I referenced um, earlier in this next photo but this is that little bump out that is the master bathroom in fact that's the bathtub right there yeah. 
And from that perspective, your view over the pool and your view of downtown Austin is really almost priceless. Yeah, it's one of the things that I never get tired of is being able to be a part of these projects and they can get to be a pain and they can get to be challenging just because you have generally strong willed uh, other people working on the job and, and you have to be able to work together as a team. Uh, but seeing the end results on so many of these jobs, it's just I, I still walk into the jobs and think, you know, just how lucky I am to be able to, you know, uh, experience that and and to be able to bring some of these to life it's it's one of the most enjoyable things about our jobs yeah and one thing i you know i know i, I just punch myself for not mentioning but you can see right here this opening well that is the front yard now we have glass here that covers this retaining wall um and then this retaining wall is, is continuous with uh this retaining wall over here that runs all along the back side of the pool which said becomes our our barrier entry but if you drive down the street and you look at this house you can actually see underneath the house and out onto the pool oh wow which is really unique i mean it's a lot of people might think that it's a privacy thing but it this whole house is you know the exterior is glass there's glass everywhere and this just adds to that transparency of just being able to have this this fluid view all the way from the front to the back uh, while still feeling very private because at no point do you really ever feel like you're exposed when you're on that patio. But you do have these brief moments of complete transparency when the, when all the, the shades are up in the house and, you know, you can see through the pool deck, you get the water reflection. Uh, it's just a really cool, just a really cool little detail that is so subtle, but, when when you when you catch it on site you're just like wow that was that was an amazing thought an amazing uh amazing execution and the way it turned out is just phenomenal uh go forward a couple of shots uh, i wanted to uh, grab something the one that we we just came from uh that one right there um so that shot right there um the, the way the, the beam of the spa um, extends past, looks like maybe, I don't know, three, four inches there. Uh, I see that mist on so many jobs. Uh, and so I know we have some, some builders on here, some guys that are wanting to build and wanting to uh, kind of learn the tricks of the trade a little bit. Um, there's many, many ways to, to perform that detail. Uh, and there's lots of different solutions. But what I see so many times is that wall is pulled back and it's even with the infinity edge. And what you end up getting is you end up getting water that will trickle down onto the lower basin coping. And it just becomes, you know, a, a nightmare uh, and it always looks bad. And so, you know, this is one way that it can be, uh, that it can be addressed. There's some different ways. Sometimes you have limitations of the site where you can't actually bump it out. We, we finished one a couple of years ago where they actually uh, put in a, uh, a smoked piece of glass uh, and, and curved it into the wall there. And you actually, you don't even notice it, but it keeps the water from traveling, migrating laterally. So it's just those little details uh, that really are important on you know, a job like this, because you don't want to get that call back from the client after everything's been running for three months and 
and say, hey, what, why did you mess this up? Because then it becomes a real, then it becomes a, a challenge and, and kind of a, a, a mark against you on the pool. Yeah, so this, uh, that, this is that bump out that is talking about right here. And this, this actually was a point of discussion during construction. The builder really did not want this um, because it interrupted this whole line of the back patio. That, that line that extends all the width of the house picks up on this vanishing edge. Now all of a sudden we've interrupted it. But if we go back into our plan view here, you can see where there's that patio line and it's just a, it's a continuous line all the way across left to right. Well, then we interrupted it right here. Structurally, we didn't have a provision to allow us to take pool wall into the house foundation over here. So we were limited. We couldn't push the basin over any. We had to have that plane protrude out in order to not have water either on the coping or leaving the vessel altogether. Um, I was only able to convince him of that because of this pool that I showed you earlier, where we don't have that detail. And just like you said, Dave, we had to we had to go in down here and and make some alterations that fortunately you don't see, but they they keep water inside the vessel and they keep it from sitting on the coping or in some scenarios actually getting outside of the basin. Yeah, one of the things I like with working with really small mosaic is that, you know, you can, we've done, uh, we built a number of pools for Skip Phillips and, uh, and one of the details that Skip does on his spas is he actually does a one tile bump out so that he can control exactly where the spillover from the spa down into the pool is and, and really it ends up only being, you know, less than three quarters of an inch and you don't even notice it until you're right up next to it. So visually it doesn't break anything. So it doesn't have to be a whole lot. Uh, and, and just if it's thought through earlier rather than later, you know, you can come up with something that you're not having to band-aid later. Yeah. All right. Wonderful. This is, this is, uh, yeah, it's so is the house. When did you finish it? Uh, is the house uh, has it sold? What's the, the status sold, of it currently? Yeah, the house sold midsummer. Um, a family who had had history had lived in Austin before had moved to California and then moved back to Austin again. And um, of course, it was in the middle of COVID and nobody was really viewing the house. Hmm. And the builder was you know, he was sitting on it and there's not a lot of action. And they did a, a Zoom meeting walkthrough of the house and the owner bought it physical sight unseen. They had only seen the house via a Zoom meeting um, walkthrough with the realtor. Yeah, pretty amazing. Yep. And awesome. they, they left it the way it was. Uh, they like, they, they are adding, adding a uh, privacy gate that um, is still in a in the permit process and they're adding a, a, a fence around the front yard of the house, but they're preserving that view from the street down to the pool. It's gonna be a, a just a metal fence for for their dogs. It's not a not a privacy or not a security where you can't see through. So they are maintaining the integrity of the design, being able to see, um, you know, see through that that level right there and the other level over here, and of course see some of the house. Um, but yeah, they're, they're occupied now and, and we, we maintain the pool. Um, 
we don't maintain the landscape on it. We don't have a, a landscape maintenance division, but we did build all the landscape on this house. Um, did all the design kind of on that, that full scale mock-up converse, uh, conversation we had earlier. Um, you know, we would, we would get a little bit built and, and come up with some different retaining wall ideas and build them out of steel. And we actually built some really cool gabion walls on this one, um, mm. I beams and some expanded metal and the builder loved them. Um, a lot of people tried to copy them since then. And I, I try not to give away too many of my secrets, but it was a, it was a really simple way to build a, a retaining wall that, that was, uh, that turned out really neat in the end. Um, but yeah, we, we did a lot of moving around and um, moving walls here and there. We actually moved the driveway. Originally, the driveway was supposed to be a direct shot from the garage. And we just, I, I think we had a thunderstorm or something one day and we we're like, this is not going to work. So we ended up making the driveway turn and run parallel to the long set, you know, the long this part of the house, long portion of the house, and then hook up to the street, which gave it a lot lower slope um, and a lot more intimate, you know, entry instead of just turning into the street and from the street and hitting straight on into the garage. A lot more opportunity for designing some of the retaining walls and landscape and lighting. Uh, but yeah, we, we, like I said, full scale mock-up, we got to the point where they were about to form the driveway and we go, stop, let's change it. Mm. Yeah, and that's pretty rare. It's it's a uh, it's unique to hear about that. Uh, you know, working in this space, uh, you know, generally you have people with very strong opinions and very uh, just it's my way and this is my design and it's sacred and uh, you know you have to be you have to really tiptoe around when you have suggestions that you know can make a job better. Uh, so I I envy the team that you have that that works on these projects. Don't get me wrong. There are some very strong opinions in this team. I oh, mean, I'm sure. Everybody goes to bat for what they want. Um, but I, I, anytime a, a decision is made, I, rarely do we walk away with anybody disappointed from the selection, um, ultimately. And of course, when they come together, I, we, there's never really been, we've never had a moment gone going, God, we should have done that. We've never, ever had that in, in five or six projects. Now we've never had the, the oh dang moment where we, we we missed we felt like we should have gone another way and honestly i feel like if it came up i feel like john and tom would come to me and say hey ben i know we're done but let's change it i mean honestly if we felt like we missed the plaster color on this um i was i was really i wanted it black i wanted a dark as dark a plaster as we could go for and and John and his wife and Tom, they were really going about for this, this gray color, which matched the deck. And um, I lost the point apparently, but if we would have got it built and John would have said, you know what, Ben, you were right. He would have had no problem having me come in there and strip that plaster out and redo it in black. He would, he would not have thought twice about asking me to do that and paying for it. Sure. Now, did you guys waterproof all of this or since you're not up against, uh, is there a basement here that you're up against? Um, there, there is no habitable or living or open space adjacent to the pool, but we believe we waterproof every single pool. Um, okay. Especially an elevated pool like this um, where we're attaching steel to the fascia. Um, you know, time is going to get to all concrete. And, you know, especially, you know, being full of water in time, there's going to be water 
leaving that vessel, chlorinated water leaving that vessel. Um, you know, it, it, with good construction practices, we hope that's not till 20 years down the road. So we used a colloidal silicate and we used a superficial, um, both products by Basecrete. Um, and we, we flood tested it after we waterproofed and before mm -hmm. they put the steel fascia on because we didn't want water wicking out behind a plumbing or a light conduit and and getting on to the hat channel which is how we mounted the steel to the structure the the steel fascia uh had we had that I mean, we would have rusty hat channel we would have rusty steel showing up in six eight ten months two years five years so you know we didn't spare any expense on the waterproofing um we we do uh we do our waterproofing, of course, on an in-floor system, you have a lot of penetrations. Um, the way we do our waterproofing is uh, we use a, a high strength, non-shrink grout around the penetrations. Um, it's a bag mix that you can buy at Home Depot. Uh, we mix it pretty dry and we pack it around the fitting. We set the fittings, the, you know, the, the plaster fitting, the plastic colored fittings for plaster. Um, we pack that, you know, as dry as we can possibly mix it in order to get the highest strengths. Usually we're getting like 10,000, 12,000 PSI out of this stuff. Um, you know, and also we don't want to get any cracking or anything. So we don't, we don't want to wet that stuff up like you would something like hydraulic cement where you're wiping it on like a paste or almost like a paint. We pack this stuff in there an inch thick. Um, it reduces the amount of plaster that has to go around the fitting, fills in that void, but it cures to a super dense, high strength. And then once that's cured, we will do two layers of waterproofing over that, that span over the non-shrink grout and then hit the water or hit the, 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 the plumbing fitting. So we, we, we cover the whole basis there. That way we don't have any, uh, any leaks around any of the penetrations. Doesn't mean the workmanship's perfect. You know, we've still had some leaks in the past, but man, when you have an in-floor system that has, you know, 20 plus penetrations, plus all your returns, plus all your vanishing edge returns, plus all 12 lights that we have in this pool. You know, you end up with a pool that has 50 plus penetrations. That's 50 opportunities for a leak. And so we do take a, a lot of care in, in making sure each of those are addressed and, and you know, we'll, we'll say damp proofed because- um, Sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, That's the new PC term. <laughs> yeah, we'll, um, we'll, we'll, we'll call, we damp proof it and, um, you know, that way we don't have to cross our fingers when we fill it up. We, we know we're in pretty good standing by the time there's water going in the pool. And so just to point out again to, to some of you that don't build uh, at this level yet uh, that would like to get to this level. Uh, you know, I, I have obviously numerous people, even even my mentor uh, that really got me into the business from the beginning. Uh, and he has kind of stayed in the in the, the mid to upper mid range pool construction. And you know, he'll see pictures or, or we'll be talking about a job or occasionally he'll stop by uh, if we're working in the same neighborhood. And, and he's always blown away. He said, I don't know how, you know, how a pool like this could be $400,000 or, or whatever it is. He said, I could build this pool for 160. And it's like, well, yeah, but are you waterproofing everything? Do you have, you know, are, is, is all of the, the tile set with, um, you know, structural uh, floats and things like that? And, and are you 
penetrating, detailing every penetration? Are you leaving all that stuff to the plaster crews? You know, so there's just a level of um, expectation and and a level of 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 precision that is required by by jobs like this. And really, it's just taking classes like this, um, you know, speaking, getting to know the waterproofing manufacturers, uh, just the different places and just educating yourself because it's, it's, it is still a regular pool, um, but you can get yourself in trouble really, really quickly if you, if you, if you skip one little step. Uh, so it's, it's, I'm, I'm thankful that we can offer these kind of seminars and that uh, just to just to kind of bring everybody up and, and let everybody know that, yeah, this is a beautiful pool. And, and, you know, if you think you could do it for X amount of dollars, just make sure that before you go tackle something like this, uh, because I know I know you and I have both been involved in some restoration projects on pools like this that were built and you know, sometimes it's just one or two little things that get missed and the whole thing has to come out. Um, we're not going to end up doing it, but we're looking at, uh, we looked at a job recently and the, the repair bill for the pool is over $2 million. And I don't think that we're going to be the, the final choice on that. Uh, but this pool is less than 18 months old. And they have to get in there and make those repairs now because it is elevated above living space and it's starting to, it's starting to destroy some of the finishes within the home. So it's, it's everybody that's on here, keep coming to these and, and keep learning, keep, you know, there's other organizations out there. Uh, it, it continue to educate yourself and, and, even I love sitting in on this because I always seem like I pick up one or two little tidbits from everybody, different regions of the country, different places do things slightly differently. And, and you can always put that in your bag of tricks. One last thing I kind of forgot or didn't touch on was the tile installation. When you started talking about all these layers and adding costs, um, we are very, very cautious on our, our tile installation. We do uh, adhere strictly to the Tile Council of North America's underwater standards which adds a significant amount of time to your project. If you're the guy that comes out, you know, a couple of weeks after concrete, a week after concrete and wants to slap tile up and, you know, get ready for plaster within, you know, three or four weeks. That's not what, that's not what the building standards are for underwater tile. Um, we've actually gone to using um, only bag mixes in our pool brown coat. Uh, we use a Laticrete 3701 bag mix, which is just a brown coat mortar. Um, it's got some, I believe they're latex additives into it, but uh, it's, it's properly ratioed sand to cement, uh, aggregate size. It, it meets all the standards for, for underwater tile application. Um, you know, we apply it per TCNA. We actually let it sit for seven to 10 days because it sometimes cracks. You know, sometimes you, you put it on, you had a little bit too much water in it and it doesn't take very much, but you get an ounce. I mean, it's, it's amazing how little, yeah, how, how tight those are. So what I've, I've gone and given to our crews is we, we have uh, one gallon paint mixing buckets from Home Depot, just a cheap, you can get them from the paint section. And what I did was I took a grinder and I cut at the mark, you know, at the demarcation for how much water each bag gets. 
So what they do now is when they fill up the gallon, it's going to leak out to the right amount because I've, I've cut that little slice, you know, and then they pour that in and they mix it up. They put two bags in, they put two of my mixes in or two of my buckets in there. You know, they mix it up, they apply it. But, you know, I've, I've had a lot of instances where we weren't doing something like that and it's a hot day and they put a little bit too much water in and they've, they floated out the whole weir for a pool and you come back the next morning and it's, it's all cracked. And, you know, I think the nature of a lot of the laborers is like, okay, well, we'll just, we'll put extra thin set over it, or we'll put something over. They don't want to go back and fix the underlying substrate or the underlying problem because they want to progress. But in reality, you save yourself so much time by letting that brown coat sit and letting it, if it's going to, it's going to develop a little crack, let it crack before you put your tile on there. Sure. You know, let it crack before you put your membrane on there. And if it's going to crack to the point of failure, remove it and redo it. Uh, you don't want it to fail with your tile on it because that's, that's when that escalates to the point of really, really expensive. Right. Brown coat yeah. is cheap relative to glass tile. Well, and, and a job like this, you know, you're not laying up this whole pool in two or three days. You yeah. know, it's, it's, and, and sometimes general contractors will look at me kind of cross-eyed. They're like, why is your tile price three or four times what everybody else's is? And, you know, we go through it and, um, you know, it, it just takes time. You know, we did our, our uh, uh, tile installation class last spring with Laticrete and I was fascinated, uh, you know, just listening to Art Minty kind of talk about, you know, you, you have to read the instructions on these things. Uh, some of the bag mixed um, uh, 3701 and 254 and some of their different products, um, there's, there's, you have to know how to mix them properly even, you know, you, you mix it and let it sit and then remix it again. And there's these, these uh, time frames that are involved in it. And yeah, could you be successful mixing it wrong and putting a little bit too much water and throwing it up and not ever knowing? Uh, sure, you can in a normal backyard pool, you know, but something like this where you've got Austin, where you get 100 degree days for weeks and weeks on end with a black glass tile, you know, yeah. that that is one of the most difficult to 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 keep looking good for any period of time whether you know a, a year six months three years five years 15 20 years um, you know you have to make sure that you're following everything to the letter of the law well that being said we didn't even grout this pool we got all the tile in and we waited on grout because there was so much stuff going on in the landscape jackhammering there was stuff that that we were we were worried that had we grouted this tile, even with the expansion joints, the hot days, the cold nights, uh, we were just worried about thermal expansion or even or even ground or energy transfer through the ground. We didn't grout it until about a week before we plastered. Because mm. uh, we knew it's a polished interior. So we knew like, once we plastered it, we had a 24 hours for it to set up, another three days worth of polishing it. Um, it's, yeah, it took three days to polish. And um, mm. so we were really, about 10 days after grout before we had water in the pool but that's how we planned it because we didn't want the grout there causing any problems with the installation or getting or dirty getting dirty or anything like that so we grouted the plaster crew showed up the next week you know and then you know once we were done we were done and i mean we literally peeled the plastic off the house and it was they were moving in furniture not too long after that hmm. 
Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful project. Um, I, I thank you so much for for sharing it with us. Um, and and for those of you here, uh, Ben's got another one that he doesn't have permission to show yet. Uh, but I, I'm I've seen some of the photos of it and that and and hopefully if we can get permissions to show that, uh, can you give just a little bit of a teaser of that one and 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 if we can when when you think we might be able to know if we can show it. Well, I think we want to we want to take two of them kind of as a team. Um, we have two projects that we worked with Diamond Falls on. Um, one of them was a, a small swimming pool on uh, about 35 feet above a cliff, and then the other one is a, a large uh, half Lautner half uh, vanishing edge, complete stainless steel pool that we did on the third floor of the house. Hmm. Um, the vessel itself was about 50 feet by 20 feet, perhaps maybe 18 feet. Uh, weighed 22,000 pounds and we craned it over the house. Um, and now they're gonna have one of the most spectacular downtown views. They're right on a cliff in Austin. But both of them uh, were Diamond Spas produced vessels. Uh, we're, do, you know, we're doing all the mechanicals ourselves in remote locations, not, not built into the actual structure that we hoisted up. But both of those will be uh, very, very unique. Uh, one of a kind. One of them has an acrylic wall in it. One of them, like I said, has a, a priceless view of downtown Austin. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Scott Cummings says uh, the Oceanside Gradient Pool would be a great one to be able to show. That'll be that'll be a fun one, especially the tile process on there. Uh, we got Dustin Porter asked, "What was polished, the tile or the grout or both? Uh, what what material were you using in the pool as the plaster finish?" So the, the pool interior was a, a, a wet edge Primera stone, and that's what was polished. And on this one, I think what we did is we took, uh, we blended a pigment that they normally use in their quartz, and we put it in their polish material. So we took the polish material base and put the, the quartz gray, uh, gray pigment that we liked. So we kind of custom blend, blended a product. and. Um, you know, whenever whenever you're polishing these things, the, the, the aggregate makes a lot of difference on how easy and how difficult it is to polish. And um, this one, the way the guys laid the aggregate down, it was all it was all smooth. It was all like it was supposed to. And and man, it was it it, it was compact and it was difficult to polish. Um, but sure. it's, I'm not sure the polish materials is other than an all tile vessel. Generally speaking, a polished surface is going to be your 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 next level as far or next level below an all tile finish is most expensive just because it takes so much labor. I said it was a day of polishing or a day of plastering and then three days of polishing. And that was a seven man crew. Mm. Yeah, not two guys sitting in there. It was a seven man crew. You've got guys with uh, four inch grinders polishing around each fitting. Like I said, there's there's probably close to 50 penetrations on this pool. If you count spa jets, all our drain suctions, our lights, there may be more than 50. Um, but every one of those fittings has to be delicately polished around. And, um, you know, you don't want to be chipping lights or, or gouging know. the plastic or. So it's, you know, the field, the open areas do go pretty fast. But when you start getting into these details and the coves of the pool where you can't lay the polisher, the grinder down, you know, smooth to the surface. It's it's a very time-consuming process. Yeah. So Dustin's asking, was that Grigio Treasure, uh, or it was uh, it was a custom modification of that? 
I, you know, I think it was the Grigio treasure, but I think we may have used the pigment from the, um, what the Bermuda quartz, it may be the same pigment. I, I, I've got notes on it somewhere, but it could have been the Grigio treasure. I know it was the Grigio treasure base. I don't remember if it was the Grigio treasure pigment or if that pigment is actually the same pigment that's in the Bermuda. Um, Cause we were looking at so many different combinations of, you know, texture and color. Um, so that's why I, I, I normally I would be able to just tell you exactly what it was, but on this one, we went through so many different iterations before we actually got uh, to what we were doing uh, or to what we actually installed. Yeah, and that's if you guys are not familiar with Wet Edge, uh, find a good high quality installer in your area. Uh, we have uh, we've done multiple Wet Edge jobs, and one of the things I love about Wet Edge, uh, they hosted our tile installation, and we got to see a lot more of their, uh, you know, how they how they build their their bags, everything is pre-bagged and, and all of that. And we got to learn more about them. Um, and, but, but then at the same time, their team is so accommodating and I, we've worked with clients similar to this, where we'll have eight, 10, 11 different variations and wet edge will work with you and you can make some custom blends. And, and, you know, there was a couple of them that, you know, I looked at the the interior designer and I said, I, this is not going to work. And, and no, you got to do it anyway. And, uh, you know, and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. So, um, you know, just understand that you have that, that, that Wet Edge does offer that. Uh, it's one of the things that I love. And, and they turn around custom samples for us uh, pretty quickly. You know, you, you can, we can ask for something and generally within about a week to 10 days, you know, we've got an actual sample fully polished uh, in our office that we're taking back into meetings. Well, and another thing about Wet Edge is uh, I just recently built a pool in conjunction with Dave Peterson and Bill directly here in Austin. And we had one minor little blemish uh, on the polishing right up against the Lautner edge. And Wet Edge made us like a one pound patch. They knew exactly what dial on our pigment came from. They knew where the aggregate came from. So they took their knowledge of what bags we used. They made us, they, you know, they used their microgram scale and made us a, a perfectly matching sample that it was easy to come back in and do this light little touch up where the the um, polisher gouged the plaster and it's invisible you, you you could never tell it was a repair down there yeah yep uh, and again back to you that's the expectation on these jobs you know on a normal you know 60 70 80 thousand dollar backyard job you're probably not putting wet edge you know primera in there but um you know, a, a little gouge here and there, you know, that that's acceptable, uh, you know, for something that may not be, it, it, it's definitely not acceptable um, when you start to, to, to ramp up and you start to get to um, these places where clients are spending, you know, a million dollars on the cladding just on the outside of their home, things like that. The expectations ramp up significantly. But just so it's not misunderstood, Wet Edge, their quartz products are very affordable and that's, you know, we wouldn't, Really, we, we, we direct everybody to wet edge. That's what we want. Obviously, we'll, we'll make exceptions. We'll do all tile and we'll do other products, but wet edge has a full line of, of price points and wet the Primera happens to be like their most expensive, but their quartz products uh, 
are very affordable. And sometimes when I get our bills after install, I'm like, that's all? Like, I, I really kind of blows my mind that that's how little we spent on, on our product that looks so good. Yeah, and really, I mean, you got to think about, like, that's, that's kind of, that, that's 99% of what people see when they see your pool, that they see the plaster. And exactly. Kind of worth spending a little bit extra. And like I said, wet edges, just, they hit a home run every, every time we use them. Yep. A lot is on the installer. Uh, you know, we have really good installers that do both Pebble Tech and Wet Edge. Um, we do quite a bit of Pebble Fina and, and have had really good success with that too. So uh, there is, you know, there's, there's something to be said about finding the best and the best in your local area uh, and then uh, just creating those relationships. Because if you don't have a relationship and you, you, you work with wet edge and you get a, a custom color, uh, but the, the the plaster crew doesn't know who you are, you may or may not be able to get it in place. So, you know, it's all about relationships. So um, I think we are good here, unless anybody has any final questions. Um, you know, I've been real, uh, thanks so much for sharing. I mean, this was, this was uh, again, another, great deep dive. Uh, and, and I just love, I, I, I love what I do, uh, in case people don't, don't, uh, can't, can't understand that, uh, or, or can't sense that. Uh, I just, I love what I do. I love watching the way other people do it. I love learning and, and I just love our industry and being able to, to bring some of the knowledge that we all have back. So thanks so much for spending time with us today. Well, thank you, Dave. Thanks for everyone for joining us.